Hello and thank you for joining us for our Pulse and Foursquare podcast. My name is Pastor Greg Perkins and I appreciate you tuning us in today that God may speak to you through his word and the Holy Spirit may minister to you through the messages that are brought forth, that you'll be blessed and we pray that you will continue to listen to our podcast and we pray that you would have a blessed day. God bless you all. those leaders at the time if someone came to you and your home and then just started just rearranging things turning over tables turning things over and you know causing a ruckus like that uh what would you say first of all get out of here but i mean second of all you say who do you think you are who do you think you are to come into my house and turn over things and uh, and cause a disruption This is my house. And that's exactly what the religious leaders were doing at this moment. How dare you to come in here? By what authority do you think you have to come in here and do such a thing? You know, so that's what they were saying in this context of what we just read. Uh, Who do you think you are? This is the temple of God, you know. And so um, Mark names uh, a few names in here that we just read about. He said the teeth. Uh, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders. And together, these three groups, uh, what did they make up? They actually made up what was called the Sanhedrin, the great Sanhedrin. Uh, it would be kind of like the, in Jerusalem, the Jewish, among the Jewish leaders, uh, the Sadducees and the Pharisees made this uh, Sanhedrin. And it was kind of like the Congress and the Supreme Court rolled into one. It was the, of the religious leaders. And so the Sanhedrin ran the temple sacrifice industry that I talked about. They profited from it. And now Jesus messed with their business and cost them some money. You know, that, that, that ticked them off. They were ticked. And so this delegation of the Sanhedrin asked him, who do you think you are running around, breaking our tables and tearing our temple apart? Who do you think you are? And who do you think you are questioning uh, Jesus' authority is the other big question in this message today. Who do you think you are to ever question the authority of Jesus? Because what they were missing is that they totally missed who Jesus was, right? The creator of the universe, the king of kings, the lord of lords, the Messiah that had come. They were questioning God himself. They didn't realize that at the moment. But... What is the source of your own authority? What is the source of authority in our world today? Good and bad authority. Who is the source? I can recommend reading Romans chapter 13. That's a good place to start. You'll find that God appoints all authority, and that means the righteous and the unrighteous. God appoints righteous authority. God wants there to be godly authority. But if you even read the Old Testament, you'll read this this was a godly king, but most of them were not godly kings, right? There's a lot of ungodly kings and leaders and rulers in our world even today. And so it's really a reflection of who the people are. Who they vote for, who they place in office is really a reflection of where the hearts of the people are at. Unbelieving generations have had many ungodly rulers in their, in their, because of our own greed, our own selfishness. But God appointed them. God put them there for a reason. And so 
They were trying to arrest Jesus and say he was blasphemous. They, um, and so they were trying to catch him in something. They were still trying to catch him in these and ask him, by whose authority, who do you think you are? You know, because they were trying to find a grounds to arrest him in this moment. And if he said he did it on his own, they would arrest him for insurrection. Either way, they were trying to get him, you know, caught in a trap. And so instead they answered, he answered by asking them a question. Turning things around and asking them a question in this. John's baptism, was it from heaven or was it from men? And if you answer me, I will answer you. And so at first glance, it may seem like Jesus was being evasive. He was ignoring their question, wasn't wanting to answer it. But it was just using a clever ploy. To, he wasn't just using a clever ploy to avoid answering their question. In fact, he was actually turning things around. Instead, they, to answer their question, it's found in the answer to Jesus' question. And Jesus and John both received their authority from the same source, and that was God. And what they needed to know about Jesus was discovered at his baptism by John, where when John baptized Jesus, what was the word spoken from heaven at that moment? What were the words spoken by God the Father? The voice from heaven came out and said, You are my son whom I love and whom my favor rests. So it was at that moment that John's baptism that said, this is my son from heaven. And a decision about John is a decision about Jesus in this particular instant. If they answer Jesus' question correctly, John's authority came from heaven. They will know where Jesus' authority came from and who he really was, the son of God. But they didn't want to answer Jesus' question. Uh, he, because either the answer from heaven or from men got them in trouble, right? So what was, the, what was the easy answer to say? We don't know. We don't want to get in trouble. We don't want the crowd getting riled up. If they said John's authority came from heaven, they knew what, that Jesus could say, then why don't, didn't you believe John? Why don't you believe him? They would themselves indict themselves on the, and on the other hand, if they said John's authority came from men, they knew the crowd would turn on them because they considered John to be a prophet from God. Now, so they chickened out and said, we don't know. They pleaded the fifth, <laughs> if you will, in this, and they refused to answer on the grounds that it may incriminate us. Um, it wasn't that they didn't know. The problem was that they were unwilling to know. They're unwilling to go there with this. And sometimes that's easy, isn't it? Just, uh, you know, about authority, about these things. You know, how, have you ever had a problem with authority? I've had problems with authority, but uh, so much, yeah, I don't like all authority. I don't like what is being done and said in our world. I don't like it at all. And I pray for leaders all the time because there's absolute ungodliness in some authority. Um. And we're seeing that unfold day in and day out. But do you still follow authority? <laughs> do you follow what is asked of you? That's a big question. If you want a good book on this, uh, read Undercover by John Bevere. It's been written about 20 years ago. 
Great book. I have a couple copies if you want it. <laughs> but it talks about, and I went through a study years ago on this, uh, and man, I was convicted. I was convicted not only just my own resistance to authority, but sometimes uh, even coarse joking about authority. Even the way that I, 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 I was being disobedient. I was being rebellious to authority. And man, reading that first couple of chapters, I'm like on my knees repenting going, God, forgive me. Forgive me. I have been so disobedient to authority and I didn't realize it. I didn't realize it. I was like, God, I am I'm disobedient. I resist. And so that's a good book if you want to follow up on that someday about authority issues. So in answer to this, who is this man? Jesus answered implicitly in his response. And in this story, what comes next after this is what we'll read uh, through the first 12 verses in chapter 12. This is a parable, the parable of the tenants. He then began to speak to them in parables. And he said this parable to them. A man planted a vineyard and he put a wall around it, dug a pit for the wine press and built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and went away on a journey. At harvest time, he sent a servant to the tenants to collect from them from the fruit of the vineyard, but they seized him and beat him and sent him away empty-handed. <clears throat> then he sent another servant to them. They struck this man on the head and treated him shamefully. He sent still another, and that one they killed. They sent many others. Some of them they beat and others they killed. And he had one left to send, a son whom he loved. And he sent him last of all, saying, They will respect my son. But the tenants said to one another, This is the heir. Come, let's kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. So they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. What then will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and kill those tenants and give them the vineyard to others. Haven't you read this scripture? The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. And the Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. And they looked for a way to arrest him because they knew he had spoken this parable against them. But they were afraid of the crowd, so they left him and went away. Okay, the first conflict I, I mentioned was about <clears throat> the authority, whose authority. And the second one here is about this parable. And it was a common practice in Israel... Uh, in Jesus' day, for an owner to lease out his farm or his vineyard or whatever it may be to tenants. And these kinds of conflicts were common. Um, tenants would refuse to pay the rent. And in fact, this still happens today, right? People refuse to pay rent. If you're, if you're a landlord and you maybe had a, a renter before not pay their rent, you know, that can be really frustrating and they are commonly called squatters, right? Squatters. Uh, and they believe it, believe it or not, squatters have rights. <laughs> can, you, can you even believe that? Squatters have rights. I could just break into your house and use your stuff, use your place, and I have rights to be there. Unbelievable, unbelievable. You can go months without paying and eviction notices and sometimes with back rent, people don't pay and leave the homeowners or the landlords empty-handed with a bunch of bills. They leave garbage there. They destroy the place 
and all kinds of stuff the owner has to haul off and clean it up. This still happens today, like this story. In fact, Cat uh, and Andrew, my son and daughter-in-law's place, was uh, their home they live in now had squatters in it for three years. They only paid three months' rent out of that three years. They had to, the, the, the people that owned the house before had to pay for it all, the electric bills, everything. Unbelievable, unbelievable that squatters sometimes have rights. But there's more to Jesus' story than just a simple tale of missed rent, rent payments in this. Uh, Jesus is drawing on a well-known Old Testament uh, imagine, imagery of Israel as God's vineyard in this. And this is taken from Isaiah chapter 5, 1 through 7. Let me just read that real quick just to give you kind of a, a background of that. And Isaiah, how many of you liked reading the prophets? You just like reading them? I've been reading through Jer Isaiah, Jeremiah, now Ezekiel. And some of them just get really sad. <laughs> just like, <laughs> it's not one of those warm, fuzzy books to read about the prophecies. You're just like, okay, you rebelled, you, you know, all this stuff. So this is the song of the vineyard, Isaiah writes. Um, said, I will sing for the one I love, a song about his vineyard. My loved one had a vineyard on fertile hillside. He dug it up and cleared it off for stones and planted it with the choicest vines. He built a watchtower in it and cut out a wine press as well. He looked for a crop of good grapes, but it yielded only bad fruit. Now you dwellers in Jerusalem and men of Judea, uh, Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more could have been done for my vineyard than, what, than I have done for it? When I looked for good grapes, why did it only yield bad? Now I tell you what I am going to do with my vineyard. I will take away its hedge and it will be destroyed. I will break down its wall and it will be trampled. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll just stop there. He's talking about, no, I'm going to read through the next couple of verses. I will make it a wasteland. Neither prune nor cultivated briars or thorns will grow there. I will command the clouds not to rain on it. Verse 7, the vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are the garden of his delight. And he looked for justice, but saw bloodshed for righteousness, but heard cries of distress. So everyone in Jesus' audience, uh, these religious, would have known this passage in the Old Testament in Isaiah chapter 5. Uh, and others uh, knew that it was actually describing Israel. Uh, the vineyard uh, is Israel. And I want to give you kind of a description of, of what those are. So they knew that Jesus was talking about them. You're talking about us, is what you're, you're, you're referring to in, the, in, in this parable of the talents that he just said. In fact, uh, each character represented in that story has definition, has meaning. So the owner of the vineyard is who? Is God. The vineyard represented Israel. Um, the tenants were the Jewish rulers of Israel, the ones he was talking to in that moment. The, God, the owner's servants were the Old Testament prophets that went there and they killed some, they beat others. He's talking about the Old Testament prophets. 
And then the owner's son, the heir that they knew was describing Jesus himself. That's the heir that they would soon be killing, nailed to the cross only a few days later. So today I want to bring out a few things in this story is that number one, God is the owner. God is the owner. And Psalm chapter 24 verse 1 says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Everything belongs to God, right? Uh, everything. God owns everything. Um, so first of all, in this parable, we must know that God owns everything. Um, you know, we could say mine, this is my stuff. Um, this is, you know, belongs to me. When I do premarital counseling with people, um, I tell them, you know, you got to lose those, you got to use those mine and this is your stuff. It's actually, as you become one in marriage, it's supposed to be our stuff. It's our families now, you know, that this is God's. I mean, we have to realize we, even in our own stuff that we hold on to, our money, our possessions, whatever it may be, um, this is my stuff. This is my money. We, we rather should lose the my and say, God, this belongs to you. 100% of it belongs to God, right? Sometimes we even say, well, God, I did my 10% today. And if you did only 10% of your job, would you still have a job? Would you still have a job? <laughs> Probably not. Uh, I mean, unless you're a weatherman, I always say. <laughs> because they can get it wrong and still have a job. But, right, he says, no, we need to rather say, God, you own 100%. What is it, God, you want me to do with your money? It's your car. It's your house. It's your everything. And sometimes when you hold things loosely like this, you can say, God, you own it. When it breaks, God, you have a broken car now. <laughs> <laughs> you have a broken dishwasher. What are you going to do about it? I mean, it's just a, it's a weird way almost to see life. And just say, God, this is yours. You know what I need before I even ask. God, you own it all. And so this story of the Old Testament, God makes this covenant with his people. They violate the covenant by rejecting God worshiping idols, practicing evil, and God sent them the prophets to call back people to that covenant relationship that they had broken. Back instead, um, back into this relationship with God who loves them, but they refused. They refused to listen. They hardened their heart. They wouldn't believe. They worshiped idols. Instead, they persecuted and killed those prophets. So God had planted this, planted Israel, his vineyard, his people in the land, and trusted their leaders to help them love and follow the Lord instead of a harvest of righteousness and of love. And all God got back was sin and rejection. They resisted. They refused to believe. And in this parable, Jesus summarizes the whole uh, history of Israel, and they knew it. And Jesus moves from the past to the present. In verse 6, he had said, um, he had left to send a son whom he loved. And he sent him last of all saying, they will respect my son, my heir. Uh, there are no more servants, no more prophets to send, nothing left to give. Only one left is the owner's son. You might think knowing that they had done what they had done to the servants who is in his right man who would send his son. Who, 
Who would do such a thing like that? Why would God ever do that? Um, why would God ever send his own son into a vineyard that could be killed? And number two, number two today is that number, we have to understand God's patience. We have to understand God is patient with all of us. As much as we resist, as much as we refuse, God is patient with you. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in love, it says in Psalm 103, verse 8. There you are. There are probably many people in your life that you have prayed for, that you have spoke to, that you have witnessed to, that you have uh, shared God's love with and his word, uh, where, where they finally accepted Jesus. They finally listened. Maybe you were that one. You were that one that I resisted. I refused to believe. People prayed for me. I had a grandma pray for me, but I resisted. I didn't want to believe. My mom, my dad, whatever it was. And someday, finally, something happened in you where you had a breakthrough moment, where you God moment, where you had Jesus moment, whatever it was, where you just finally said, okay, I stop refusing. I will and hopefully it doesn't take a calamity to do that. It doesn't take a, a traumatic experience to come to that, the end of yourself, I always say. That we have to come to the end of ourselves, And he keeps coming, even when we reject him, God keeps coming after you, as we sang about today. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. Right? As some of you understand slowness. Instead, I like that part. I know what slowness is, the traffic. That is slowness. I understand that, and I don't like it. I understand that. Instead, God is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but for everyone to come to repentance. And it says that like one day is like a thousand years to God. God is not slow in keeping his promise to you. I hope everybody would be instantaneous when they hear Jesus in the gospel. I, I pray that. I pray that today would be the day of salvation for you. Today you would stop resisting, that you would welcome Jesus. But some of us are not that easy, right? <laughs> We're stubborn people or prideful or fearful or whatever it may be. We don't want it. Upon seeing the son, the tenants assume the owner of the field must be be dead. And so they killed the son and the vineyard would be theirs. So they killed the son, threw him out of the garden or the vineyard, and the owner wasn't dead. He came and killed the tenants and gave the vineyard to others, it says. This story is a terrible indictment and a huge claim in this. Jesus indicts the leaders of Israel for rejecting God's prophets. They rejected them and they killed now God's son. And he warns them that they will be destroyed because of this. And Jesus makes this huge claim of being the tenant's or the, the owner's son. He makes this, clue, this claim, and they knew it. You're claiming to be God's son. And so the story implicitly answers the first question about authority. And Jesus claims in this story form, in this parable, to be God's son. I am God's son. 
It's also an incredible expression of God's long-suffering and of his persistent love that continues to pursue us. That's my third point, is that God is loving. And as I shared earlier today, God is a loving God. He will pursue you, come after you, the never-ending, reckless love of God that pursues us. He will. He'll keep on knocking walls down. He'll keep pursuing you, keep coming after you. And again, I can, sometimes we just think of that in the sense of salvation. In the sense that I'm already saved. I'm good. God, you don't have to knock any walls down anymore. I'm good. <laughs> I'm saved now. I believe. I believe in God. And God would say, but there's more. There's more. Because in the shadows that, that song said and Andrew was talking about today, there's still some shadows, some skeletons in my closet that I don't want you to open up. If you came over, I'm not going to show you some certain closets, you know, right? And I'm using, the, using this example, you know, if you invite people over, can I just go walking around your house looking at every place in your house? You go, no. <laughs> no, you may not. <laughs> so, <laughs> I would say, that's true of us in our heart, Right? There's places in our heart where we're like, no, you're not. I can talk about the weather and sports and things with you, but don't go there. Don't go below that line. That's kind of the, the, the line where it stops. And maybe that line is what I was talking about earlier. I'm uncomfortable. I'm uncomfortable with that type of love. You know, and, and I, uh, you know, for people that have come into my house and especially pe people that we brought into our lives over the years, there's this thing called refrigerator privileges. <laughs> it's kind of like, uh, you know what that means, right? Especially if they're college students, you know, that age or teenagers, you don't have to ask every time you go to the pantry or the refrigerator. Just go get it. You're part of the family now. Just go get it. I'm tired of you always asking me. <laughs> Just go get, you know, whatever. Because you're part of the family. Does that make sense? That, that, that's part of what God's wanting to say. Are you, let, are you willing to let me in? I was just reading in my devotions earlier this morning. And it was just like, it was a church of, you know, um, Laodicea, and it was talking in Revelation, and it was, he was describing that, behold, I stand at the door and knock. Those who open the door and let me in, I want to come in and sup with you. Who is he talking to? He wasn't talking to non-believers. He was talking to the church. He was talking to the people of God already that were still resistant and keeping door, you know, Jesus on the outside. Because we're okay with you coming into sometimes, but we're not okay with you coming into certain places in my life. And this is what we do with God's love. I'm saying God is a God of love. The loving God, love of God is more than we will ever fathom, more than we will ever know, but he still wants to show you himself. He still wants to reveal himself 
to you in a deeper way. And so he sent his son to offer this gift of love. And he loves us with this everlasting love. Again in Jeremiah. And so it says in 1 John 4, 9, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. And he, he keeps trying when others would have given up. But eventually Jesus claims there is a limit to God's patience. And I'm not saying that you burned up, you know, you burned it too far. You know, you've, you've like a cat of nine lives, you know, you're on number eight and a half right now. God with God, you know, he's done. You're going to get creamed here in a minute. Um, when you reject God, the son, eventually, whether you live a full life or a short one, there will be a day of standing before God and giving an account. It's called the day of judgment. And number four is that God is the ultimate judge. He is the final judge. He is the ultimate authority, right? We talked about, we're talking about today. God is the final judge. It says in Psalm 9, verse 8, 7 and 8, um, this is in the New American Center, but the Lord abides forever. He has established his throne for judgment and he will judge the world in righteousness. Up to this point, the religious leaders had totally missed what Jesus was saying. They rejected Jesus. They rejected his authority, rejected who he was, uh, his claim, and they wanted to kill him. And the lesson is that those who reject Jesus will eventually fall under God's judgment. If we reject it, we keep resisting, keep resisting, keep resisting in unbelief. And it says in 2 Thessalonians 1, 6-8, I want to read, it says, God is just. He will pay back trouble for those who trouble you and give you relief to those who are troubled and to us as well. And Paul writes, this will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in a blazing fire with his powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, this begs the question, what do we do with the authority of God? What do we do with God's authority? What do we do about Jesus and his authority? As, as was shared last week, as I mentioned, as Pastor Rod talked about, the authority of God's word being absolute truth. And the truth is not just a belief system or concept. It's not just a... It, it, or relativism. Truth is... Jesus, it's person of Jesus. He is the truth. And thus, Jesus and his word are absolute. Jesus, you aren't just partially true. You aren't just, you know, I like certain truths about what, who you are. He's all or what? Nothing. Nothing. And in the public mindset, this is not acceptable today. This is not acceptable. You're saying that Jesus is the only way. I'm like, I'm not saying that. I'm saying what Jesus said himself. I believe it. Your argument is not with me. Your argument is you either believe this or you don't. Either you believe it or you don't. So I don't need to get into discussions about all these different issues 
with people. I, I, I spent years debating with people over various issues about, you know, gay marriage, about abortion, about all these things that you can go on and on and on and debate about. And I'm not saying you should never have a discussion about this. But my thing is, what does God say about that? What does God say about it? You know, about being unequally yoked, about, about things like that. What does the Bible say? Because it's not my opinion versus your opinion. Because we're never going to win an argument on that. We're never going to, we're just going to keep going around the mountain over and over and over. Because your opinion is, ne- I'm probably not going to change yours and you're probably not going to change mine. But I'm not just basing it on what I feel or what I think. It's what does God say about it? So your argument is with God. Does that make sense? It has to always be about what God and his word have to say if we don't have a standard for truth then nothing is true and truth is just whatever we decide to make it in order to fit our own agendas but truth is not my opinion or believe truth is Jesus and his word our ultimate absolute basis of all things the question is what do you believe about Jesus and his authority what do you believe about that is it absolute or is it just somewhat true who is the man who is the man what do you believe about Jesus and his authority? And earlier in Mark that I had read, did a sermon on Jesus, asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And Peter chimed in, you are Christ, the Messiah, the one who had come. And Jesus asked them, you know, he, and so that's in Mark chapter 8. It was also recorded in Matthew 16. But Jesus makes himself the issue in this. Who is the man? Who is the one that heals the sick? cleanses the lepers, raises the dead, opens the eyes of the blind. Who is the man who forgives sins? Only God can forgive sins. Who does he think he is? As the religious were saying. Who is this man who walks on water and calms the storms and feeds the crowd with only a few fish and loaves of bread? Who is this man who hangs out with sinners and loves the outcasts, the marginalized, and the rejected? Who is this man who teaches with authority that the crowd would listen to and they're going, wow, this is a common man. He's not schooled. How does he have so much authority? Who is this man who claimed to be the son of God who said, if you've seen me, you've seen the father? Who is this man who challenged the religious establishment in his day and said, I am the way, the truth, and the life? Who is this man who willingly embraced death and was rejected by men and nailed to the cross and died and then forgave all who put him there? Who is this man who three days later was raised from the dead, conquering death and appearing to many? Who is this man? And it is the single most important question that we all must answer and Like Jesus asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? Will you, like Peter, say, you are Christ, you are the Messiah, you are that one. Um, And I will follow you wherever you lead me. And then what happened in Peter when he was in that conflict? He rejected him immediately when when something threatened him. You see, there's people in our world today that are willingly lay down their lives 
As I prayed last week on our knees and I prayed for the country of Afghanistan that is being overridden by evil and praying for believers. There's many believers in that country, God-believing people that are now being executed for their faith. And it shows me, man, what would I do in this? And tragically, tragically, we lost 13 Marines this week. Should not ever have happened. That we must continue to pray for that nation, continue to pray for those people. But I think about that when everything seems convenient, when it just church, going to church in America is so easy, and yet we don't. We, we make excuses for God because when anything conflicting, anything that might upset me, that Pastor Greg said this, and it wasn't very funny, no, that wasn't a very funny joke that he said. <laughs> and, and all I can say is, get over it. I mean, <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> right? No. Um, it's just so silly what we get so offended about. In our, in our world, when people are literally dying for their faith. They know who Jesus is. I know who Jesus is, that if someone came in there and said, go line up and start shooting us, you know, and you have no choice, you have no way to refight back. I know where my eternal home is. Amen. Right? Jesus makes himself the issue. Friends, the real issue isn't political. And I'm not saying there aren't political issues in our world. Uh, because there are many, but those, that's not the main problem. The real issue for us to answer is who is Jesus? The real issue is spiritual. The real issue is who is Jesus and believing in him. When I talk with someone, I want them to know who Jesus is. You too, you can do this. Maybe ask them, what do you believe about Jesus? Just ask them a question like that. It's, it's interesting. A lot of people like Jesus. doesn't mean they believe in him as their savior. If we debate with people and win arguments about political or moral issues without bringing up people, without bringing people to Jesus, Jesus I believe we have lost the battle. It's useless. Jesus is the main issue. And what will we do with him? That's the question I want to ask you. And that's the question I hope I'll ask, you'll ask people who you meet in your own life. Who's Jesus? Who is this man? And what will you do with him? And hopefully you already know how to answer that question. Is Jesus your Lord? Is he your Savior? Is he your ultimate authority? Is he your truth? If you haven't discovered Jesus' authority in your life, there's no other name like the name of Jesus. James tells us that even demons flee they shudder at the name of Jesus. They believe in God and they shudder. The name of Jesus is exalted above all names, it says in Philippians chapter 2. That's the name of Jesus that we are saved, we are healed, we are delivered, we are set free at the name of Jesus. And demons do have to flee at the name of Jesus. 
He is the ultimate authority in Jesus' truth. When I know Jesus' name, I know that to obey. Satan has to obey. He has to get behind me in the name of Jesus. And we can use that type of authority that we have because he is the ultimate authority, but he says, you are my children whom I love. You are my people. You are the people of God. And you can say in my father's name, in the name of Jesus, you have to leave. And he does. Do you believe that? The story of the tenants illustrates God's long-suffering, his persistent love, that Israel broke that covenant with God, and rather than rejecting them, God pursued them, sending prophet after prophet, wooing them back to himself, continuing to go after them. And my personal devotional reading, even this week, as I was reading through the prophets um, and through Jeremiah, he was the prophet that no one would listen to. He was the one who was called the weeping prophet, um, In Jeremiah 25, verse 3, it says, For 23 years the word of the Lord has come to me, and I have spoken to you again and again, but you have not listened. He's talking to the people of Israel. You have not listened for 23 years. You have not listened. I don't know if I would want that call from God. None of them listen to me. You send me to people that won't listen. And first, Jeremiah references his own repeated efforts. These 23 years, he spoke to them again and again, over and over. And here's an interesting thing about Jeremiah. When God calls him in Jeremiah chapter 1, the Lord tells him that people will fight against you. They won't listen to you. And imagine God giving you, telling you to go and speak to people and adds, oh, by the way, no one's going to listen to you. (laughs) that's, That's a wonderful call, God. You know, that doesn't give me any satisfaction in that and i'd say then why are you sending me what's the point what's the point in doing this that point is that god's love doesn't give up he keeps going after and after and after and he keeps trying even the face of repeated rejection and jeremiah continues verse 25 verse 4 and though the lord has sent all his servants and the prophets to you again and again you have not listened or paid back paid any attention and it wasn't just jeremiah there were many other prophets that were sent to the Israelites over and over and over, who spoke to them, and God's long-suffering, his persistent love, his stubborn love that never gives up, keeps going after them. Have you ever tried to love someone who just kept refusing to accept love? Have you ever resisted love and then refused and also refused to listen to the truth? You resisted, you are that one, the squirming two-year-old I was talking about. Prophet after prophet, being killed and beaten or again and again. Then he sends his son. I'm sure a number of you have testimonies of God pursuing you until you finally surrendered to his love. Until you finally said, okay. And again, I don't think it's just a salvation thing. I think that's the, that's the first. That's a big one. But I think it's God, am I ever still resistant? Am I ever still keeping you out of places in my life that I don't want you to go? His love will keep pursuing you. He'll keep, in, in a, it's because darkness can never overcome light. And if there's any darkness in our lives, he's shining his light and he's shining his light on that and saying, I already know what it is. I already know. You can't keep it hidden from me. I already know, but are you willing to let me into that? Are you willing to let me go there? 
God the Father offers his best. Please don't reject his love. Say yes and receive that. His love for you. Let him go there in those places. Those religious leaders refuse to believe and accept Jesus' authority. We might not outright reject Jesus, but sometimes we reject or resist his Holy Spirit. Do you believe that Jesus and the entirety of his word are only what you want to believe? Ultimately, we all need Jesus to be that supreme authority in each of our lives. And if you've never given Jesus the supremacy in your life and humbled yourself or submitted to his authority, you can do that right now. I invite you to accept his love, to receive this gift that he offers to you. Don't resist. Don't resist that love that he's saying, God, I want to show my love to you. And it's his kindness that leads us to repentance, it says in Romans 2. It's not his judgment. He calls each of us to accept his love and his grace and his forgiveness and all these things. If we simply believe and we confess and we repent and call in the name of Jesus, we will be saved. And then he can say he will cleanse us. He will forgive us. He will wash us. He'll begin to heal us in body, soul, and in spirit. But again, if we resist, if we keep resisting, and in the sense of not accepting him as our savior, there will be a day we have to stand before God to give an account. We will all give an account, the righteous and the unrighteous, but there's a, a judgment that leads to eternal death, and instead, Jesus came to give eternal life. He wants to offer eternal life for us. Can we pray? and just Again, Lord, I... I thank you for the gift of salvation, the gift of life, gift of your love. It's your love that pursues us. It's your love that never gives up on us. And I pray, Lord, we would receive love. And if anyone here today or watching online today has never accepted or received your love, I pray in Jesus' name that we would all open our heart. We would admit that we have made mistakes. Come to that end of ourselves, end of our pride, our, our unbelief, and say, Lord, I need you. I believe what your word says, not just the parts I like, but in the entirety of your word, that you're the ultimate authority and your word is absolute truth. That I believe that, God, and if I believe that, I stand on the promise. You say, I call upon the name of the Lord, I will be saved. And I call upon you, Jesus, and the name of Jesus and I repent and I believe that you are my Savior. You died from my sin. You took sin upon yourself that I might become the righteousness of God. Not in my own righteousness. My own righteousness is filthy rags. But I say, God, I accept you and your love and your righteousness. And you change me in that moment. And you say, now you are cleansed. Now you are righteous. Because of the blood of Jesus. Now you can be healed in body and soul and in spirit. And I allow you, Lord, to do a cleansing of my soul, my mind, my will, and my emotions, Lord. That I allow you into places, your love into places that I just have not wanted to open myself up to. Places that I've kept hidden, perhaps. Places that I just didn't even know it were there. Because I lacked understanding. I pray a revelation of your mighty love and your presence into those places, God, that you want to do a healing. And we say, more, Lord, more. Do it more, Lord. 
More in my life, more in all of our lives, God. There's always more. And that's the prayer you will always bless and you will always honor and you will always give us more when we ask of you. Lord, we just welcome you to do that. Welcome your presence even now. Lord, just be touching people right where they're at, in their homes today, watching, or if they're sitting here today, Lord, we just welcome that. Just receive the love of God. I receive that, Jesus. I receive the words that you speak over us as well. You say, you are my son, you are my daughter, whom I love, and I'm well pleased. I'm well pleased with you. The, 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 the love of God, the Father revelation of your love for us today, we receive that. Thank you for that, Lord. Thank you for bringing healing in those places as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey guys, Billy here. I'm the media director here at Polson Foursquare, and I'm glad that you guys could join us this morning. If you guys are looking for more information, you guys can go to polsonfoursquare.org. And if you guys enjoyed the sermon, consider subscribing or sharing it with a friend. Thanks for joining us this morning, and we hope that you have a blessed week.